Yo, 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 what is up, dogs? I'm Kevin For Real, and I'm here today to talk to you all about this awesome, rad, lit Nova Box. I have to say, after gaming on it for like a couple of 20 hours, it's like better than any other console I've ever played in my life. It's like next, next gen. You can play games on it a million times better. It's like the biggest innovation since like the internet. So remember y'all, learn more, work more, play more. It's easy, it's humble bro. Novabox by Novacom. This week on the show, I review not one, not two, but all six episodes of Album 73, 28 Hours. It's my biggest review yet. Well, except if you count, like, episode four and episode one and anything longer than this review is going to be. Anyway, this week on the Auto Here Podcast. Hello, and welcome back to the Auto Here Podcast, a podcast where its host still thinks people listen to it because he thinks it's a podcast that everyone ought to hear. I'm Gabriel Coates, that host for today's show. In all seriousness, though, I want to thank you all for um, taking some time out of your day and listening through another one of my podcast episodes. I'm back, I guess. Sorry about that. We're coming back last week. So what are we doing today? Well, I'm going to try to do the impossible and review all six episodes of album 73, 20 hours in 28 minutes, more or less. We'll see how this works. We'll see if I can even do it or not. So why am I trying to do this? Why am I trying to review six episodes into one podcast? Well, first of all, I don't want to be discussing this album for six episodes, which if I do it every week, will be a month and two weeks. If I don't do every week and I do it every two weeks, it will be three months. Second, I don't even know if I have enough to say for each and every episode that's worth to go through six episodes. Third, this album is pretty much one drawn-out story, so I feel pretty okay about discussing everything in one episode. That reminds me. Look, y'all. The spoiler-free train is leaving the station, so uh, go ride that spoiler-free train if you haven't listened to everything from morning to final minutes. Come back after you do. I'll be waiting. Alright, without further delay, accept this and the very next sentence. Let us begin. Proceed at your own risk. Album 73, 28 Hours. This album was written and directed completely by Kathy Buchanan. Sound design was tag-teamed by Luke Gano and Zach Schneider. Music was composed by John Campbell. Cast includes a lot of regulars. I honestly didn't get a list of cast before I started, so... Uh, anyway, uh, you know pretty much all the people. Some have claimed this album to be the best album ever. For younger fans, 
this album includes a lot of intrigue and excitement. Every episode contains a twist at the very end that gets older fans and younger alike speculating for the rest of the week. I myself couldn't wait a week for the next episode. Carried by one twist or reveal to the next, this album sparked a lot of discussion and a lot of interest as it progressed. I still enjoy this album. It's, it's a really great album. However, it's not as good as some IO Club members make it seem to be. And I shake my head whenever the official podcast echoes this sentiment that it's the best album ever, quote unquote. First of all, was in the set of As Buck Would Have It? Side note, why did As Buck Would Have It have to win every single Avery Award. So praise God. <laughs> My point is that every new multi-parter, like as Buck would have it, or 28 hours, is always going to be the fan favorite of that hour. Then the next big thing comes, and that's the best thing ever. The reason why? Because a good number of people don't give enough thought towards Odyssey episodes. If they did, instead of doing what everybody else was doing, following the trend, they would actually find their actual favorite episode. Let me be clear. Saying that something is the worst episode ever is just as good as a criticism as saying it's the best. So allow me to apply healthy thought and criticism to this album. And I'm of course doing this after re-listening to this album for the fourth time. And as I've been listening and re-listening over and over again, I've started to like this album less and less. The fun of this album is the discussions you get to have with fellow fans during the week in between the episodes airing. Suffice it to say, after that, some of this album's holes start to show through upon further analysis. On a recent episode of the official podcast, Kathy Buchanan, the writer and director of the whole album, said that she had originally planned for, as Buck would have it, to run alongside his album. So basically it'd be a three for three. It was then decided to release them as separate stories, and I personally think it was the best decision to do that. Still, the point I want to make note of, though, is that... 28 hours was only three episodes originally, and it was then expanded into six later on. In fact, even Kathy Buchanan admitted that everything in parts three and four, which would be Evening and Dead of Night, were pretty much added later on. You can tell that, like, the album really, really slows down. And of course, there's other things that being added in parts one and two and five and six to begin with. The expansion of this album is made all the more evident whenever you take a look at the times for each episode. Excluding the long recaps, of course, each episode was at the most 22 minutes long. It seems to me then that at least a good percentage of this album is filler content. Stuff like the scenes with Pullhouse and Burke or the unnecessary dialogue and extra scenes are the main offenders of the superficial content. Admittedly, I love every one of those funny moments, especially the extroverted bodyguard and Sky and Pullhouse argued their day and night, or when Burke forgot to carry the one over in his math. It's very relatable, man. I do that often. Sadly, though, as much as I love those scenes, they also slow down the story, and it would have really helped to have a faster pace, more suspenseful storyline than to intercut it with another joke and to keep the suspense and intrigue going. I mean, could you imagine multiple twists in one episode? I mean, that would give you a lot to talk about. It wouldn't just be, the chairman's back. It'd be, but what about Sky? Is she trustworthy? You know, it could have helped having a shorter storyline. Of course, the novelty of this and the reason why this was hyped up is because this was a six-parter. It's fine to go longer and flesh things out more, as long as there's a story to flesh out. There's also an art to condensing a storyline down, too. If it's a three-parter storyline, 
do the three-parter episode. If it's a six-parter storyline, do the six-parter storyline. Don't try to make one into the other. A six-parter condensed down into three episodes feels rushed and doesn't feel like it really sets up the stakes. A three-parter spread out into six episodes starts to feel long and almost unnecessary. I'm not trying to say that this shouldn't have been a six-parter. It works well as a six-parter, but it might work even better as a three-parter. For being a big album, it doesn't feel like a big album. It's still pretty small. It's only within 28 hours, which would make you think that the album would be a lot more faster pace, but it's not. It slows down in parts three and four. So, absolutely loved the music. It's amazing. I love the music whenever Jason gets run into by Mr. Employee of the Year, Oscar. But here's the thing, though. I didn't like it as much when it was reused again in Daybreak. I have an ear for this stuff, I know. But, like, you, you could have done all original music, and that would have been nice, and I would have preferred that. Speaking of the scene where Jason gets run into, uh, let's talk about, let's talk about that for one sec. I was getting something from the fridge as I was listening to the episode, you know, getting myself lunch, and as I opened the door, that's when the call went dead. So I stood there, gazing into the white abyss of the refrigerator for a couple of seconds. So hats off to Luke Gano and Zack Snyder and the Townsend Coleman, who does a really great job portraying bewilderment turned quickly into shock. Other great moments in this album include the following. The female ninja saving Jason. The evacuation of the hospital. The revelation of Jason having the microchip in his brain. And, of course, the chairman's back. We'll get, we'll get into that later. I also appreciate the less action-packed, more personable moments between our characters. Speaking of twists, this album was chock full of them. In fact, dare I say, though I've already implied, that this album was founded upon the twists... It featured at the end of every episode. It is effective in bringing listeners back next week, but after all has been revealed, the episodes seem lesser than beforehand. And I believe that's because there's little to no foreshadowing to these twists. So you can't go back and you can't say, oh, wow, I remember listening to this episode for the first time and I had no idea that they laid the cookie crumbs for Sky being a bad guy or for the chairman coming back. Because there were no cookie crumbs. It got revealed, and then we knew. But there was no evidence to support it otherwise. A great writer usually will put these cookie crumbs or these clues throughout the episode. They'll be sprinkled throughout. So let's go for these twists one reveal at a time. Giant IQ isn't a speed-sized! As we originally thought. You know, if I hadn't listened to the official podcast episode with Kathy Buchanan, which recently released, I don't know how it's going to be, how recent it's going to be in relation to this episode. In that episode with Kathy Buchanan, she said that she already knew from the very beginning Jillian was going to be a secret agent. I find it oddly convenient, though, that Jillian's cover as a spy is to be incredibly dumb and make random jokes so that the writers can please more fans with serious Jillian and still making weird borderline disturbing jokes. Wooten already has that corner covered, okay? I do appreciate, though, that Kathy went as far as to make the fake Jillian more annoying than the real Jillian, so that the real Jillian could be liked more. I guess it was foreshadowing that she was so good at detective work in Nightburst by Constance. So where does this reveal set up for the future of the character and someone special? Well, as Jillian continues her odyssey and odyssey, <laughs> we'll see more of her character grow and Hopefully, we'll see her relationship with Jason begin to bud and lead to the heartbreak of thousands. Oh, sorry. Um, their, their, their marriage. <laughs> I meant that. Of course. 
It'll be interesting to see what happens going forward. Afternoon brought us the chairman. The chairman of the board. The chairman of the evil people. It was amazing to hear from the chairman again. When Dr. Dervici drops his name at the very end of the episode, one could hear the screams of thousands of fanboys that were then quickly silenced as they got really weird looks. He shows his villainy once again in a great way. His final line, but you know nothing, is chilling. Despite that, I have some beef with how they handled him. First of all, did he need to say, it's over for now? Again, the reason why he did initially was almost a tease to the audience. You think Novacom was big? Just wait, I've got something bigger in mind. This time, it's over for now. Feels like more of a threat of petty revenge. I'll get you yet, Jefferson! Comes to mind whenever I'm listening to that. Speaking about something bigger that was planned, you mean to tell me that this was it? This convoluted plot? Was his big triumphant return? Controlling a handful of nuclear submarines by reading a guy's mind is kind of a step down from world domination through mind control. I suppose the end game to it, to Operation Snakeskin, was to uh, control the world powers by threatening with nuclear warfare, or to pit the world against the United States politically if. It were discovered that they launched a nuclear weapon against somebody uh, anywhere in the world. Nevertheless, I have to ask the question, is he going to nuke the world? And why do that? Why would you nuke the world when you're going to be dead from the aftermath? What's the point? Even if you do survive, nobody else is going to survive. Nobody wins a nuclear war. It'd be be silly to start that domino chain, both on Adventures in Odyssey and in real life. Now let's say for a second that maybe the nuclear submarines were even the Germans' primary goal. Maybe it's him just testing what he can do. Maybe it's to scare the people at the Pentagon. Maybe he's going to use it to control people and to use them to influence world events. I believe the name for the operation, Snakeskin, would imply that. In that case, you've got to insert the device into every high-ranking official or former agent in the nation. It's not as efficient or as it's shown that once his presence is realized, it's not as effective as Operation Think Tank. Another aspect that I think was failed to be realized with this album and the chairman's goal is the lack of personal stakes. This review isn't going to be a comparison to Novacom. Even so, in Novacom, you see firsthand that what Novacom is doing is ruining the lives like that of Tom Riley, somebody we've known and loved for years. It's not about world domination. It's about people's lives as well. I don't care about world domination through mind control because it adds that personal level that we can relate to. I can't relate as much to somebody controlling the entire world, but you're ruining somebody's life, then I start to care. So yeah, you can go you can go control the world. I don't care. Just don't ruin people's lives. So with this personal stakes in mind, what if the second warhead was aimed toward a town in the United States? Perhaps Odyssey? It puts the stakes closer to home, as opposed to some abandoned, empty building that I could care less about. I don't care if the United States has to build a new building. What about actual people? So my overall conjecture about the chairman is that he seems like a, he'll be a new blacker type villain. A low-stakes, quick-game villain who has a scheme that'll last an episode or three. The chairman isn't like that. He's a long game 
building stakes, high gain villain. The chairman plays for the inevitable end game, not the short goal he thinks up in an afternoon. Here's the thing: I understand you're trying to we're trying to introduce the chairman back into Odyssey, but I would have rather his return been a little bit longer if it had been a story that was more well suited to the chairman. The only point that actually connects the chairman to this is the fact that it's involving the brain. Yet the chairman is much more than just brainwaves through radio waves. Novacom was only one of his nefarious schemes. It's over for now. The next reveal is Skyfelt staying as Cobra Orange. The reveal shocked me only because she had been established as a character before this episode. You know how the usual Aussie trope goes. New characters in a mystery have uncertain futures, but already established characters have a pretty determined path already. I do like that she's not entirely evil. She's just in it for the million bucks. It's been previously established that she has a love for money, which is the root of all evil, so it's in line with her character. I, I only wonder what's going to happen to Channel 10. You know, will the place go down? Will Ted Humphreys no longer have a place to work? Maybe her father, Guy Feldstein, could run the station again. The next twist in episode 4, Dead of Night, is probably my favorite twist. It's the one that had the most foreshadowing, even though we couldn't have guessed at what it was. Even so, the twist is still incredible nonetheless. When you see all the clues point to this one conclusion. We couldn't have known it was that conclusion because this information wasn't set up otherwise, but nonetheless, it's that slow reveal of a truth, not just a mere moment of, guess who it is, that shocks us. As Dr. Lilligram begins to detail the microchip, we figure out that it has to be involved somehow. This microchip could be devastating in the wrong hands too, we learn, slowly realizing that if the chairman has this technology, it could be extremely dangerous. We also get, I think, the first time it's been mentioned since Benefit of the Doubt, Connie's brief mention of Novacom. It's almost a nod from Kathy Buchanan to the audience saying, hey, pay attention, this relates to the chairman. Then we get the line from Dr. Lloyd Graham, though they'll have a bad headache for a while as the brain adjusts to the electrical impulses. Revelation! It falls onto our characters more or less at the exact same moment that it does to us. Now one of our beloved characters, Jason Whitaker, is compromised, and Jason himself can't stop it. It's a slow burn reveal that isn't quick and cheap like some of the others. This places the scene near the top of my favorite scenes from this album. Even before the reveal, we find out that Jason has to be arrested, which is utterly ridiculous to our minds. How could Jason do something wrong and nefarious? Tis a truly brilliant scene in my not-so-very-humble opinion. I, really, I have a great memory of listening to it for the first time. Next up, I know it's after Christmas, but sing with me! Oh, Totten Bomb, oh, Totten Bomb, there is a bomb in Odyssey Hospital. And with only 11 minutes to go, or seven long days, plus half an episode, plus the recap to go, the album almost comes to to an explosive end. Something I do appreciate is that the characters, when they're at their wit's end, <laughs> and they've exhausted every possible chance, they ask God to help them. They depend on God in this album, and I do appreciate that. When you've exhausted everything you can do, you have to rely on God. As for the reveal that comes at the very end of this album, this entire album, I'm shocked, dumbfounded, gobsmacked, flabbergasted. The clues were set up in the first episode, but this reveal still has me stupefied. And that reveal is that Jillian 
was asked out by Officer Burke. I mean, come on, those two are clearly not a match. Long live Jilson! Double J's forever! Yeah, I'm joking. Also, now I'm stupefied that I actually said long live Jilson. The other reveal I didn't mention, just because it didn't appear at the very end of an episode, was the unveiling of Dr. William Rusk as a villain. To be honest, I was torn on how he'd end. On the one hand, it's a pretty slim chance that he just happened to witness a burglary come out of G Triple J's antiques and end up in an alley beside the stop with a hurt head without wit ever hearing any of this scuffle as he walked up. I shouldn't fail to mention that Rusk seemingly ignored the darkened and closed state of the shop, or why would he be so rude as keeping Dr. Calhoun waiting? Also, this came to my mind, where was Dr. Rusk's car? Probably if he saw the sign, I'm assuming Wit came to the front door and parked in a front parking lot, so in that case, where did he park for this? Did he just park in the back alleyway? Well, that should have been suspicious. The only reason why I was hesitant in my suspicions is because Dr. Calhoun didn't say, I know not this Dr. Rusk. Depart from me, worker of iniquity. So Dr. Rusk had to be telling the truth about something. And they kept using his testimonial of the break-in at J&T Antiques and the recaps. So maybe that was true as well. Once he came back in daybreak, though, I figured, yeah, he's got to be a bad guy. It made sense either way, but it was suspiciously coincidental that he would just show up again and present an alternative to taking the device out of Jason's brain. So his phone call with Dr. Darvishi affirmed what had all but been confirmed. It was interesting to see that his motive is money as well, like with Sky, even though he's a surgeon and he's probably making bank already. Something I did like about the episode, Daybreak, is that, like in Novacom, as the tensions rise and the plot literally thickens, our heroes take a moment to pray prayers that are real, genuine, and thoughtful. They each have their own personal concern they each bring to God, and each of their prayers differ from the others. And let me not fail to mention, they prayed in the one name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved, the precious name of our Lord Jesus. Another thing I appreciate is that they begin this album with a conversation that I feel like I read a blog post on it. Why Jason shouldn't marry Jillian. Oh wait, I did. I am being serious though. I do appreciate the self-awareness that Kathy brings to just how ridiculous the very prospect of Jillian and Jason's relationship was. Note the word was. A side note that I would like to include, Grayson Smith returns as the extroverted guard. It's nice to hear from him again. Great job, man. If you ever stumble upon this Grayson Smith, then again, I don't know why he would stumble upon this, but, you know, we do what we do. Another point I want to make is about the wasted opportunities this album has. The chairman was wasted potential. I've already brought that up. I wish he had been brought back in for something big, but as I'm already stating that again, I will refrain from bringing it up completely. So one thing I will mention is that if we're going to fill up six episodes, one thing they could have really fleshed out would have been a compromised Jason. If the device is in his head and is strong enough, we could have potentially had Jason working against the good guys, becoming a double agent, given how he said in a harsh tone, fine, just do whatever you have to do. And then we get the reveal that he has a chip in his brain. I thought he was going to snap, lock Jillian, Wood, and Connie in the station without any way to contact the outside, and then would flee to Dr. Russ to give the rest of the codes in person, all while struggling against the chip that's controlling him. That story, or something similar to it, would have been a really interesting turn of events that would have made this album 
more compelling. Of course, I am arguing, well, if I had written it, but I can't help but point out the wasted potential of a compelling and unique to Odyssey storyline. But let's discuss a sequence that I think is filler done well. The scenes and final minutes where Dr. Calhoun and Dr. Graham have just taken out the tiny device with big problems when Jason begins seizing on the operation table. Over and over again as the audience, we have been told the risks that accompany removing the device. We think everything's okay once the device is removed. Smooth sailing from here. Unfortunately, like real life tends to be, not everything is smooth sailing. Conflict reveals and builds character. And especially if it's something that is very plausible to happen and likely to happen, it's a joy to watch conflict unfold. You can expand this album into six episodes and do it well by thinking through the risks and threats that come with each new setting and circumstance. These two scenes didn't really need to be in the episode, but boy am I glad they were included nonetheless. I could go on and on about this album, but I'm going to try to fit this all into one episode if possible. So let's conclude. Album 73, 28 Hours, was hyped up by the Avengers and Ozzy team to be a great big action-adventure episode, on the shelf with, or near to being, with the likes of Blackguard or the Novacom Saga. Is it deserving of the attention? Yes, it's indeed an enjoyable series, full of drama, suspense, and classic Odyssey fun. The reveal of Jillian's true identity as a secret agent and the return of the chairman leave me with anticipation for what's to come. Still, I find myself left with mixed feelings. I like this album but it's not the greatest. There are flaws, things I wish were explored instead, and an overall notion that the majority of this album was filler content, and all that keeps me from loving these episodes completely. These aren't perfect episodes. Nay, no episode's perfect. To say it's a perfect episode, is, in my opinion, is completely based off your own opinion. So where does that leave you and me? For you, I hope I've stirred up some critical thought in regards to these episodes, and that I hope that you will think about these episodes. I hope you will send me an email to talk about these episodes. The email is gabriels.ideas at gmail.com. As for me, I appreciated this album for the discussions I had with my fellow Odyssey fans in between the episodes. However, I also recognize its shortcomings, and I really wish the chairman's triumphant return wasn't for this quick and over album. So I look forward to the future when the chairman returns once again, and I enjoy this album for the action adventure it is. So remember, if you wait long enough for the chairman to come back in 20 years, you'll be able to have the senior discount. Thus, we conclude the 13th episode of the Out of Here podcast. Thank you so much for joining me for yet another episode of my podcast. I wish you all a final farewell for 2022, and I look forward to returning in 2023 with another review of just one Odyssey episode, or maybe it'll be three, depending on what I decide to do. Until then, peace and grace be multiplied onto you from a God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. See you in 2023. If you can't tell, I just saluted you. It's not the right proper way to salute. Hold on. There. I salute you. So, yeah. The Otehera Podcast is a production of Gabriel's Ideas. This is a fan podcast and is in no way affiliated with or endorsed by Focus on the Family. You can email us at gabriels.ideas at gmail.com. This episode was hosted by Gabriel Coates. And I am the French narrator at the end. Hoping God join us next time for another episode of The Other Hair Podcast. Au revoir.